Hi everyone and welcome to Aston's Economics, Finance and Entrepreneurship Department's very own Learning and Teaching podcast. I'm Krishma Patel, a teaching fellow in economics and in this podcast I invite various academics from the department to share some of the interesting and exciting things that they are doing in learning and teaching. So today we have with us Dr. Tim Burnett. Welcome to the podcast, Tim. Hi, hello. So do you want to give us a quick introduction to yourself? Yeah, so um, obviously my name is Tim Burnett. I'm a senior teaching fellow in economics here at Aston. Um, I've been at Aston for about two and a half years. And before I was at Aston, um, I was teaching on the University of Warwick's liberal arts programme, which was an entire educational programme built around experiential learning and sort of and problem based learning, which is kind of taking experiential learning to, to the absolute extreme. And yeah, and so and I think the the sort of the three years I spent there really had a profound effect on the way that I view teaching and learning and what teaching and learning looks like. Um, and yes, and I think that's broadly what we're what we're going to be talking about today, right? Yeah, great. Thank you. Yeah. So today, as you said, what we're going to be talking about is experiential learning. And um, uh, Tim has written um, a very interesting article on uh, the Economics Network about this topic. Um, So I think we'll be drawing on some of that in today's discussion. Um, So to start off with, Tim, your published piece um, on the Economics Network, it starts with this quote, right? So it says, do not feed the ducks. Um, So I wonder if you could explain uh, what you mean by that, just so we can kind of get an understanding of uh, what experiential learning is. So, yeah, I'm glad glad you like that (laughs) quote. Um, So the, the idea of calling this don't feed the ducks came from a particular moment when I was working at the University of Warwick. And uh, I was sat um, in the in the square on campus there, and uh, and there was some ducks. They have ducks on campus. They have a pond, and um, and these ducks would just walk around, and they just they just beg you for sandwiches, beg you for bits of bread and stuff like that. And I was thinking, well, you know, the duck, what the duck thinks it really wants is for you to spoon feed it, so to give it some food instead of, so it doesn't have to go and go and find its own food, right? But we know fine well that actually in the long run, sp- giving the duck sandwiches is not good for the ducks because they 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 don't develop the essential duck skills, if you like, <laughs> of hunting, gathering food for themselves. And, uh, and I was just thinking about this and I thought, well, you, you can apply this concept to learning, right? That, you know, you think about, well, well what, what do, what do students need to learn at university so that when they leave university, they are capable, they're, um, they're able to move seamlessly into employment or further study or research or something like that. And this idea of, of like resilience and self-sufficiency and the ability to, to do things for themselves, right? And I was thinking that, well, you know, in an, an education system that, 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 doesn't really build up these skills that just spoon feed students information and expects them to, to, you know, just regurgitate some some knowledge in an exam is not really not really helping the students. The students think it is. That's the thing, right? The students yeah. think because they're sat in lectures that they uh, that they're learning, that they're doing really good stuff. But 
in reality, you're not helping them in the long run at all. And really, you should be challenging students a lot more. And um, and yeah, that, that that's really where the title came from. It's like, don't don't feed the ducks. Don't 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 spoon feed students uh, information. Make them work for it. Yeah, I really love that. I think that that really works and it, it makes total sense. So, um, yeah, I really like that quote. So um, I guess we'll get to it in a little bit more detail in a second. But obviously in your article, you talk about experiential learning in the context of um, like the role of data in economics education. Um, with this key idea being that you're, you're proposing that it should be data first and then theory uh, afterwards rather than the other way around. Right. So um, I guess you've talked a little bit about kind of what motivated you. I wonder if like, did you ever try the more traditional approach? Uh, before you tried this uh, other way round approach, yeah, and, and you know, like like most people who get into education, you know, you 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 start off doing doing tutorials and stuff like that, and then you sort of you graduate into doing lectures, and and it takes a certain confidence and a certain realization that things should be done in a in a particularly different way so of course when i first started my career i i sat there i stood at the front with some uninspiring slides at the front of a, an economics lecture and and you know and 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 even like you know my ideas about what i think students should be doing were were, were very kind of straight laced but it was the um but the interest in experiential learning kind of grew over time. Yeah, a, a bit of reassurance that, OK, everybody kind of starts out potentially with a more uh, traditional approach or conventional approach. But it's something that can be built over time um, to go into this idea of experiential learning. Well, well look, completely. I mean, so the, so but I was thinking about this and like. It's really interesting the people that find everyone finds their own way. Anyone who's got a passion for teaching finds their own way in um, in, in in teaching. And in some respects, I think you know things like HEA fellowship or, or advanced HE, I think it's called now, HEA fellowship and stuff like that is is good because you know you start out in teaching and you find yourself just doing things in a particular way and sometimes you don't even know why you're doing them you just know that this feels good you know so take the most simple forms of experiential learning for example which is where i started realizing that actually things things were quite good you know you're, you're a very very junior member of teaching staff and you are doing tutorials in microeconomics and you start getting students to come up to the board and to write things on the board right mm. And suddenly, you know, that student is doing something in the class. They are demonstrating, they are talking to the, to, to, hopefully they're talking to the rest of the class, but at a bare minimum, they're explaining to you as a lecturer that this is, this is how you solve this particular homework exercise. So, you know, and sometimes when you're very junior, you don't even realize, you don't know the theory behind why this experiential learning is working. You just know that, you know what, I like, I like the way this works. I like, that students find it uncomfortable they don't necessarily like it you know what I mean but the point is that it's good for them right that again we'll come back to the duck analogy right that the point is that the the students want the students want an easy ride they want you to tell them the answers but in reality no, you make them work for it a little bit and um and then so so to bring come back to this idea about um about the the, the fellowship so you know you keep you you, you keep 
developing this thing and you know that you like to get students doing things but when you're junior you still don't understand and it's only when you start you're forced to really engage with the the literature the theory of theories of learning you know whether it's um whole cycle of reflective learning or or, or 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 you know the specific theories around experiential learning the Howard Barrows um stuff about problem-based learning all these things that being forced to engage with this and suddenly being able to think look I've been doing this my whole career suddenly now I think I understand why it's so important to get students to do things mm. um and yeah, so 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 I think every, everybody, you know, you find your own way. But I'd say right from the start, I found myself very, very. I found myself engaged, getting students to do things. And when I started, even even before I'd done the advanced HE, I was actually yeah. sort of developing some modules and even modules and the, the activities. I just found myself thinking, how can I design tutorials that's where students are doing things, not just not just sort of being being passive so yeah 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 definitely I think that's a really good point about um about like doing the qualifications and stuff because you're right in that sometimes before you actually learn the theories you're already doing things just intuitively and then yeah. to actually realize like the theory behind it oh this is this is why I'm doing it and it, it all kind of fits together so yeah I think that's a really good point um so let's get into like a bit more detail about like what you actually do then uh in in your module for example uh with experiential learning so at the moment um i so i i have a i have a phd in economics charisma and i i'm i've become a statistics lecturer i don't know how <laughs> this happened at some point at some point i I know how Arnold Schwarzenegger feels when he had aspirations to be an actor and then they just start giving him action films to do. And he's got this dream of being a comedy actor and like, no, no. It's like, what? <laughs> so the point is like, I just I just did, did enough statistics modules and now I just get, no, no one gives me economics anymore. It's terrible. Oh, no. <laughs> it's, it's really sad. <laughs> anyway, um, so, so yeah, so so statistics is quite easy. It's statistics and econometrics. Um, I I've never taught. Even I've been teaching this years. I've never taught statistics or econometrics as a dry theoretical subject. You know, it's I naturally lend veer towards really getting students to do the econometrics and trying trying to remove as much of the scaffolding and the stabilizers you know if you think of the analogy of someone learning to ride a bike taking away the stabilizers asking the students you know look here's some here's some messy data you know what I mean let's let's dig into it and and effectively giving the students the data giving them some 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 cues some some a, a list of commands that they might have worked through in their own time but you know given this 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 reference document these reference commands have been given here's some horrible data let's work through it let's let's analyze it and you know what does that do well well straight away you know you are almost you're simulating well students are doing doing the econometrics but what you're doing is you're you're simulating almost a real world situation that a student might ultimately face that idea of encountering data for the first time encountering data that they they haven't seen before encountering data that's 
ugly and messy because I mean I don't know whether you've ever looked at actual survey data it's horrible <laughs> to work with so um so yeah so I just get the students to to do this and we you know we I set them away in any class I deliver I set the students away for two hours um walk around support them get them to help each other get them to explain to each other what's going on if some if someone's stuck get another student to 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 teach them getting you know getting some peer learning um and then yeah and then you know debrief at the end talk about well what what did you find why do you think you did this and um and it's just as i say it's just building that confidence in students that you know suddenly you know what what if you are confronted with some unfamiliar data well you you have the you have the the commands you just got to dig into this uh, into this repository and um the depending which module i'm teaching so i teach some modules some quite advanced modules where i get the students working with r but i think actually and some less advanced where they work in excel but i think irrespective i really try to encourage students to if they're stuck for a command to really to really try and find the command for themselves because the point is you know fine well that once you leave a classroom and you get into the real world like there's not a teacher anymore to tell you the command that you need to use to <laughs> to elicit some particular result whether it's excel stat or r you, you just gotta go online and ask google and, and check, <laughs> check 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 the starter forums ask professor nick cox from durham to uh to, to tell you something um yeah and 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 the point is like you, you know you learn how to use these things and you know if you can get students learning using these things and accessing these resources from the word go then you, you're preparing them for a life where there isn't a lecturer just there to ask a question of you know yeah yeah I I can definitely understand how important it would be to try to like build these kind of independent learners who aren't just relying on you because as you said the fact is the teacher won't always be there so yeah exactly. absolutely yeah so um one thing that I thought about was um maybe if people were thinking to introduce this maybe something that they would be concerned about is being able to teach them everything that they need to know or have them learn everything that they need to know right so the fear might be that kind of um obviously you're to a certain extent, leaving them to their own devices. How can you be sure that by the time they finished your module, they actually know what you want them to know? Oh my gosh, that's amazing, Karishma. You've just nailed, you hit the nail on the head. It's the fear, right? It's the, the fear holds a lot of people back from engaging in this sort of stuff. And to, depending upon the nature of the subject these fears are more or less justified um so one of the things that you that you so to take it back to the sort of the, the the broad focus of don't feed the ducks which if you like start motivating this this was a this is a very lightweight introduction of in some experiential techniques into a very convent into how you might do the introduce experiential techniques using Excel into a, a module, a standard module on micro or macroeconomics first year or something. And, you know, in that respect, that, that, that was a very mild introduction. That was effectively just, you know, instead of, instead of teaching students some quite dry theory, it was decided and 
all sorts of problems when you teach students theory. They they start believing that that the theory dictates things in the real world rather than vice versa. You know, I mean that we we draw theory from the real world. The the real world motivates the design of theory to explain yeah. things, but theory that's consistent with what we're actually observing in real life, right? Um so in, in in that respect, you know, that was um that was just getting students to to engage and to, in theory, spot things in advance to motivate the learning that you then go into. We're then covering more or less potentially a relatively straightforward lecture. But what you've done is you've grabbed the students, you've engaged them and you've uh, you've made this link between theory and, and reality, mm. whilst at the same time as building some Excel skills, hopefully. Right. Uh, which by and large, every, I was speaking to some placement students earlier, every single placement student says they wish they knew more about Excel. Like it's, really? it's, a, it's, a, it's incredible. The stu yeah. students, when they, when they leave university, they all go, I wish you'd done more Excel. And it's like, well, you should. Um, <laughs> but, um, but yeah, but to go back to, you know, this either the fear, the fear that um, you haven't taught the students everything they need to know. So, this comes back to a sort of a much broader question about what it is that you are really what do you what do you want from your students at the end of the course right mm. because the fear that you haven't taught students enough or haven't taught students everything is intrinsically linked to this notion of spoon feeding right that you haven't when you are spoon feeding you need to make sure that you spoon fed them every single last bit because the point is what you haven't prepared the students for is that you haven't equipped them with the skills to go out and find fill in the gaps themselves right yeah. so but the moment that you shift your mentality to a, a, a situation where, where you think what do I want from the students who graduate from this module? I want them to be competent. I want them to be autonomous. I want them to be able to self-regulate in their learning. I want them to have the skills to, to go out and find answers when they need to find answers. And then suddenly in then delivering every last bit of, of information, every last morsel of information, that, that that needs to be covered becomes a little bit less important. And I mean, the other thing is it, it comes back to also assessments, right? How do you assess the students? If your assessment is effectively, can you regurgitate such A, B, C, D and E from the course on, on demand, possibly in a, a sat in a large room with 500 other students at a desk for three hours, you know, if all you're asking students to do is to regurgitate information, then yes, it becomes very important that they obviously have had everything. But if you're if you're setting much more authentic assessments that require students to replicate some sort of tasks that they might do in the real world, and it's amazing how infrequently in the real world I've been asked to regurgitate random facts from my undergraduate <laughs> economics degree. Um, you know, the moment that you start introducing things like slightly more authentic assessments. Um, then again, the delivery, the 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 whether students have got every last the, every last morsel becomes almost almost irrelevant in a way because what you're doing is you're testing students on their ability to 
apply some economics and if they don't know the economics off by heart you know or can be explicit then hopefully you think they've, they've got the skills to go and to go and find it does that make sense yeah definitely yeah so i guess uh with this authentic assessment and obviously if you're doing as you said a kind of assessment where they're not sitting in a room having to memorize something and then put it down on paper then um i suppose it's good that you're teaching them the skills to be able to go out and look for things because then that's exactly what they're going to have to do for your assessment right yeah so i mean it's 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 constructive alignment it's basically affecting yeah. it's making sure that everything is 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 aligned so i mean you know this is this is again very wide ranging but you know to come back to this idea of uh, authentic assessment, it's um, authentic assessment. I, there's a lot of talk about authentic assessment at the moment, isn't there? Mm. And I, I, I find that that you know when if you're if you're introducing authentic assessment without the kind of kind of pedagogical reform that basically gets students really engaged in the kind of skills that will allow them to really excel in an authentic assessment setting you know it's you're not really maximizing the potential of an authentic assessment you know it's it almost feels contrived you know if you if you are feeding the ducks for the for the the whole year and then and then suddenly you say right now here's an assessment Go and find some, I don't know what, what the ducks eat, reeds, fish. <laughs> I don't know. Go, go find some for yourselves. I don't know. Um, but the, the, the point is that it's you're not really you're not really making the best of it. And the point is that I, it wouldn't surprise me at all that either you you've got to set a, a, a kind of a slightly half-baked thing, or otherwise the students excel in these things because you know you're not a lot of courses aren't really preparing the students for the, this authentic assessment. So I don't know. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so coming back to to the thing about like the fear that, you know, you wouldn't have taught them what they need to know. Um, I guess it's important to emphasize the idea that you're not completely leaving them to just do everything by themselves, right? So you uh, you mentioned um, that you you know you let them experiment and then you have kind of a, a debrief, right, where you have a discussion. So maybe you could talk a bit about the kind of importance of that and how that helps in implementation. Yeah. So I mean, in the debrief stage is really really important because this is this is the moment where you know you are where 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 students get the opportunity to to reflect on what they've actually done on the process reflect on what they've learned and and it's a chance to to if you like to to fill in some gaps and um and and make sure that effectively that if there are any lessons that you do really, really want to actually get get in there, that actually the, these are in, these do get covered. But at the same time, you know, you you reach them in a slightly more, hopefully, in a slightly more organic way, right? That basically, yeah. you know, you, through the actions of students, through the conversations that you have in a kind of a debrief stage or something, that ultimately, you know, that that you can have a conversation about oh what did you spot what did you find why do you think this happened um here is a potentially in the context of the the, the article here is a theory which might account for what you found when you were digging around you know does a, does a theory match the data 
blah blah blah. I mean, you know, it's it 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 gets students obviously engaged in the 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 you know with the theory, but also it's a chance to get students in straight away thinking critically about the extent to which theories actually hold and and whether or not you know theories are only as good as the assumptions that they're built upon you know do do we do we observe do we observe these things are the assumptions that underpin the theory realistic but just getting students to actually dig around for themselves um yeah hopefully hopefully i'll say it's uh, it's it, it it motivates a debrief um I think the other thing that, you know, that we haven't really touched upon, which I don't know whether you were planning to, is is the implementation of these sorts of things. Because I was I was chatting with a with a with a, a student, a placement student earlier today, and and I was talking, they they were talking about, you know, the the difference between working on one hand and being at university on the other. And he says how they're very, very different. And I said, I was explaining to the student, I said, well, you know, the, there are educational systems, there are programs, and I taught on one myself, where the effort is really to to uh, better align. I think you can look at it from a purely instrumental perspective that yes, it aligns your education with the type of challenges you might face when you're working in terms of being being required to be self-sufficient. Um, or you could just think of it as being just making you a more capable individual in any setting, you know, either way, either way works. It One of the problems that you face is that it doesn't look like what students imagine. It often sometimes doesn't look like what you think, what students imagine university looks like, right? And again, this comes down to feeding the ducks. Students have an expectation of what university looks like. They have an expectation of what education is. And, you know, and I think um, the idea of, you know, being talked to about to a bunch of stuff, writing down as much as you can, going to some tutorials, some seminars with some exercises, doing them, doing some exams, leaving university, brilliant. But the, the problem is that experiential learning, it, it, it certainly the, the deeper you go into experiential learning and the deeper you go, the more you start realizing the benefits, the potential benefits, the deeper you go, the less it starts looking like a conventional uh, university education. Right. And this presents problems in a way this this this, you know, come back to the debrief, coming back to the difficulties of implementation, coming back to even like because one of the things that debrief does is that it's it rests on the idea that students have engaged in that experiential yeah. step, right? Yeah. That that the idea of the, the experiential that the experiential stage in that in the learning has been normalized enough such that students just do it, right? And and will engage in it. And and this comes back to, you know, it it requires an a, a, a consistency, a, a buy-in from students. And there's several ways. The, the the easiest way to do that is to make basically make sure that every single module that the students or or a big chunk of the modules that students do st uh, operate the same way and require the same effort from students to learn. Because remember, yeah. this is what experiential learning is about: students engaging, actually putting an effort to learn, not being passive in their learning. So yeah, so so this is this is almost like the problem. And you know, when I was at liberal arts at Warwick we we um 
because the whole department was set up around this idea, you know, that actually the students bought into it. By Christmas of their first year, they were they were autonomous. They were doing their own research. They were they were putting pay to this idea that you can't ask students in first year of an undergraduate degree to exhibit higher order learning skills. Because the point is, the moment you normalize it within a degree program, the students adapt to it, right? But yeah. the problem is that if you if you don't have it across an entire program and you basically you are trying to get into the the sort of the 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 more involved modes of experiential learning your, your problem-based learning stuff in in just one module then students start questioning it students don't like it students students don't like the idea that you're asking them like the ducks they get miserable they 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 get angry that you're not giving them a sandwich that you're expecting <laughs> them to go and um, but as as a, as I point out that unlike, unlike ducks they can mark you down in module evaluation exercises well ducks don't normally do that um but the point is you've just got to stay strong um yeah and, and the weird thing is that 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 you know talking to people who've graduated after they've graduated and looking at what graduates from you know you think about liberal arts and man like like people in economics go liberal arts what kind of what kind of like what kind of subject is liberal arts it's not, <laughs> you know it's, but you know it's it's about intellectual freedom it's you know i'm i'm a so i'm a quantitative social scientist i'm an economist and i taught quantitative subjects to liberal arts students as part of the program so, um, but it was just a program about educational freedom. Um, but seeing what these 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 students have gone to do and the type of jobs they've gone into and really thriving post university with this kind of normalized set of skills that they that they acquired, it's it's quite incredible. But the point is that the, these students bought into it, whereas one of the problems that you'll face in a in a in a and just trying to go trying to go overboard and trying to go all in um without with, while being the only module that does it is that students look at go why is this why do i yeah. have to work so yeah. yeah i remember uh you know being a student um like it's just a very simple example going to one seminar session versus a different one and it would be like in one of them uh, it could be a case where you've got a lecturer who writes down all the answers on the board and you can just copy them down and you've got the solutions, right? And as a student, this is great. Like, you don't have to think, you don't have to do anything, you've got the answers. Mm -hmm. And then there will be another one where, okay, you've got to do a bit of group work, you've got to have a go at the questions yourself, and then they might have a bit of a debrief. And then you're left there thinking, oh, the, the other one was better as a student that is is the temptation to think like that and it's only now uh when I'm on the other side of things that I'm like okay I can see why it's actually better for me to try to experiment with it first because you learn in a in a completely different way um yeah. so yeah I think it is really important to be able to somehow get the students like you said to buy into it um I'm thinking about like ways in which that could be done. Yeah, I mean, how how you get the buy-in is an interesting question. Um, so I always like the idea that there's a sort of that the, there's potentially a sort of a bit of a a bit of a sleight of hand going on. The idea of a trick, right? 
that, you know, if you play your cards well, again, well, uh, card analogy, sleight of hand, that you can trick students into it. You don't you don't have to pull the curtain back and show the students why you're doing a certain thing. So one of the things that I do in my quantitative modules, because the point is I like, going back to implementation, the point is like, I don't know how other people are teaching quants, but I don't know, you know, so I can't, you know, I can't go overboard with this thing. But what I can do is I can slowly sort of start the module and subtly, you know, remove remove supports, get students engaged in doing more and more complex stuff. Subtly sometimes they say to students, you know, why don't you look up how to do this command um, as, a, as part of the, 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 the class, right? Yeah. And before you know it, you know, and, and then in doing so, what you've done is you've got the students doing things but you've you've kind of tricked them into it by subtly by by just by by drip feeding drip feeding autonomy to the students mm. um so that's in terms of you know actionable things that that anyone can do in a, in a, in a relatively sort of regular module yeah i think that's that's um that's achievable in, in, in which case you don't really need buy-in because the students mm. just naturally I mean there's always going to be well there's going to be students in every class that are that are that are disengaged right and um and whether or not you're doing things experientially or whether or not you're sat at the back playing on your phone while the lecturer at the front is spoon feeding you the answers <laughs> right every class you know it just doesn't matter which class this this disengaged student is in and you know i mean arguably you know you might you might actually grab them a bit more by asking them by forcing them to do something in a way um but by and large you know that's in terms of buy-in in a regular module that that's that's as, as i say that's kind of the way the way forward if you're talking about buy-in at a at a once once you get to the program level and you start really thinking about doing this kind of stuff at program level and i mean i'd love i'd love to to attempt it at a program level in economics it'd be amazing but also an awful lot of work and and takes a lot of takes a, a lot of people need a lot of convincing for, for for something like this um but when it's a program level you know you 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 almost beat students over the head with it in a way like the point is you go well look this is how our programs work and you can say to students you know very very clearly and up front it almost becomes a marketing ploy you know you come here do our program we teach it completely different to everybody else and you'll be better economists at the end of it than than if you were basically you attend a conventional program um and that's that's your buy in there. The moment the moment that you your program is identifiable via its its experiential approaches, um, then your buy in is almost happening before students turn up. You're asking them to self select into your program on the basis of the way that it's taught. Um, but yeah, so so two ways you can either 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 force students to engage in it at a, at, a, at a program level or otherwise trick students into engaging in these in these experiential methods. 
Yeah. So I guess it's worth saying as well, seeing as you talked about kind of at a program level that obviously you've, we've talked today a lot about using this on a module where you've got data, right? Um, but would you say it can be applied to a wide range of modules, the same kind of approach? So the, the don't feed the ducks thing, the Excel, using Excel or in this case, or, or data to motivate, um, to motivate, and in fact, theoretical education, theoretical economics, really came out of some discussions that I, I had with members of the Economics Network at the Development and Economics Education Conference in 2019, I think, when I presented this, uh, another manifesto piece on experiential learning. Um, I just got really into it at that point in time. <laughs> um, just, I, I just subject everybody to, to, to conversations about this thing. Um, and really, it was a response to people who said, you can't, how do you teach theory in an experiential way, given that theory is often not particularly intuitive, right? Unless you're getting students to design theories for themselves. But, you know, if you're trying to teach a, a bank of you must know these theories before you before the end of this module yeah uh, and it was like well how how do you how do you do that right and so the idea of data was was the the way forward because the point is that you know if you if you would open up a, a lecturer's handbook in in economics you know you constant constantly you're, or you're regularly told to use data use real world examples right to to motivate your students to reinforce learning use real world examples mm -hmm. and in economics real world examples are often data driven right graphs um or well normally graphs you can get students to generate the graphs themselves depending on how you do it but but the point is that this is not particularly revolutionary in a in a theoretical subject or in most economic subjects there is data somewhere that you can use um in more discursive topics in economics right this is this is where things get really really cool right because you know these you know like applied modules or economics in the news or something like that you know yeah. um, re real world uh, current economic affairs i don't know you know, everyone everyone has studied this module once or twice. And that's a wonderful opportunity, right? Because the point is you don't even need data. The point is what you what you can do is effectively assuming that, that students have a some background in economics, you know, done a module, done a semester, you can basically just give them a news story. And instead of using your news story at the end of a lecture to say, oh well, you know, look, talking about the news story with economics you can give students the news story mm -hmm. give them in and say look where's the economics in yeah. this and it's still you've still slightly put the cart before the horse because you 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 really you at a very at a low level you're getting them to 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 um to to draw on knowledge that you've already taught them so mm -hmm. that in that sense the cart is before the horse but at the same sense, you're still training students to confront unfamiliar news stories and and to be able to interpret them for themselves instead of effectively being able to to relying on someone to interpret the world for them. If that makes yeah, sense. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, that well, it's funny actually. That reminds me of something I did. Um, I, I guess I engaged in experiential learning without knowing it, but now I know that that's what I was doing because <laughs> with my um, final year competition policy students in the first 
seminar session before I had taught them anything. Obviously, they're final year, so they've got some economic theory. Um, I gave them a short case couple of details about a case which was a about a company called Luxottica and I basically said to them sunglasses explain it yeah yeah um, and I basically said explain it and I was actually surprised at how well they could actually draw on the economic theory they had already learned um, to explain it to me and then we kind of linked that together with competition policy and it and it worked really well and now I'm starting to understand why <laughs> Well, yeah, and uh, do you know what? And you, you, do you know what? You've literally just explained, like, like to be honest, a a a, a very experiential classroom. You had a debrief at the end of it. We talked about debrief. You had a debrief at the end. You got the students to think about it, and then you, and then you had a debrief. Yeah, so that's really good. It just shows that it can be used in in the kind of more theoretical uh, modules as well, which is really good. Um, so I think we've talked uh, a fair bit about like implementation stuff. One thing I was wondering was, um, obviously you've used this, you said in a couple of your modules, have you used it with first years before? Or is this something like, it can it be used with first years? Do you think it still works with first years compared to those in later years of study? So this comes back to this idea about what 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 kind of, what order of learning skills you can you can use with different levels of students. So I don't teach any first years at the, at okay. the moment. I, I haven't taught any first year students for for in, in economics for quite a long time. Um, but, you know, to go back to my previous previous life as a liberal artist or whatever you want to call it, <laughs> um, you know, this was an entire programme. On this stuff, the entire program was from start to finish experiential learning, uh, problem specifically problem-based learning in liberal arts, like the most extreme version of, of experiential learning. And um, and the point is, yes, you can train students. Students are trainable, right? Like the ducks, they're they're they're, they're trainable. They, whatever you teach them, students will absorb and they will get used to. Um, the problem is that throughout most pre-university education, uh, most students will go through a very regular kind of, um, here's some information, remember it, repeat it in the exam. Or here's some information, uh, here's an example, tell me about how the information that you've been told applies to this particular situation, mm. which is a, a bit better than just, just repeating boring facts and whatever back, but you know, it's, it's, it's a step in the right direction. Um, so the the challenge is is just to overcome this but the point is that the moment that you you apply some sort of level of consistency in terms of what you expect from students students will adapt very quickly you know look a a um an 18 year old student is just has has the same level of intelligence as a final year student you just basically we just don't ask sometimes don't ask them to do enough right mm. But again, it comes back to what I was when talking about earlier on in terms of just general implementation. You have to be consistent and you need consistency and things need to be aligned. You know, your 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 program level things like um, um, like like weightings, your module level things like your assessments, 
everything needs to be aligned. And, but if they are aligned properly, there's nothing stopping first year students from engaging in these much higher level, um, higher order um, academic skills. That's great. Thank you. Yeah. So hopefully that was um, really useful. Lots of tips on implementation. Is there anything, anything else you want to add? Any kind of like parting words for anybody who's trying to or, or listen to this conversation and thinking, OK, I, I want to give this a go. Any kind of last tips that you would give them? Um, I think the 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 only sort of the, the 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 overriding advice I'll give to anybody is that you know it's worth doing it, and you know, and even if you have to start small and and build up, um, you know, it's worth it. It's worth it in terms of outcomes. It's worth it in terms of the the what you hear from students afterwards when students sort of come to you. At, a year later or six months later and go, oh, my God, like that was actually really good. And you, you do you not. Know, you've just got to remain strong. Like the point is, like the ducks, the students will be miserable sometimes. They go, well, why we're we doing this? Why can't you just teach us this? And uh, they might, they might, they'll complain. But the point is that like you're the expert, right? Where the, ex the students aren't experts in education. Point is, the point is that like, you know, you've just got to, you've got to stick, 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 um, Stand by your guns, as it were. Six, what's, what's the phrase? Stick what's to your I'm guns. Looking? Stick, to, Stick your guns. to your guns. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I think so. Stand, stand by your your principles. Um, yeah. And just and like trust yourself, because the point is that like the moment that you, the moment that you implement this, and you think about why why you implement, you're implementing it because you think it's going to be better for the students, right? So uh, so yeah, um, that would be my advice. Great. Stand strong. Stand strong. <laughs> That's great. Thank you so much. I've definitely found uh, this very interesting and I'm sure all of our listeners will find it interesting too. Uh, so thank you for joining us. That's all right. Thank you.